The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 188 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. It is so good to have you back with us again this week. We have an amazing conversation coming up for you. But first of all, we do want to thank a new reviewer on Facebook, Nadine Jones Anderson. Thank you so much for your kind words and your recommendation on Facebook. We really appreciate it. And speaking of Facebook and other social media, thank you so much to all of you who have been uh, sending in what being a member of the church means to you. And we continue to share that on our social media. It's been so fun to see your answers and just some really beautiful thoughts. Again, you can send that to us as a direct message on Facebook, on Instagram, or to social at latterdaylives.com. And Skylar is just doing a tremendous job with all of that. So thank you so much for all of you participating. Um, My guest this week on the show, Jessica Williams, is such a talented cook and recipe designer, but her story is so much more. She is just an amazing soul. What an incredible life story she has. I really enjoyed connecting with Jessica. I know you will love her story. And coming up this week in my Latter-day Life, I finally had to tell him to shut up. It's all coming up, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest is a recipe developer, a food photographer. She has a massive following, and we can't wait to hear her story. Jessica Williams, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here. I'm super excited. Uh, I am thrilled to have you on, and I just want to put it out there that when we say recipe developer and food photographer, those words, they don't encapsulate what you do. Considering, and I'm going to go ahead and just brag up front, that you have more than 800,000 followers on Facebook that watch your recipes. Yes, it has been a great source of just community, especially over the past few years. Facebook has been really fun. My kids say I'm totally old because only old people are on Facebook, by the way. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. So well, you're, you're, you're doing amazing things and we're going to hear all about that. But before we do, we've got to get to know you. So tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from and where you grew up. Okay. So I grew up in the Bay Area in San Jose, California. And um, I didn't have the best childhood. It was uh, filled with contention, I guess you could say. Um, it was there was financial struggles, there was relationship struggles. It was um, kind of a mess, to be honest. So it sounds like you you had a kind of a lot going on for a child. Yeah, there was a lot going on, and um, I guess one of the big things that happened too was the 1989 earthquake. Oh so, yeah. Uh, we lived in a mobile home and essentially our house was destroyed. And so we had to move. And so we moved into just a different part of the mobile home. And shortly after that, um, 
my parents decided to separate. Um, and it was, it was a situation that went from bad to worse almost overnight. Did you so, have siblings? Yes, I have three sisters. Okay. And where do you fall? I'm the second oldest. Okay. And how old were you when they separated? So this was, uh, I was 10. So. Mm. Okay. 1990. So. Yeah. All right. So it was, it was a situation where my dad refused to leave. Um, and so my mom left mm. and um, I feel like I, myself and all my sisters have kind of um, processed this over the last, you know, 20 years or so. And um, I understand her decision a lot more, but at that time it was really hard. My dad, essentially, because my mom left, my mom didn't have a place to live. She didn't, you know, she didn't have any um, uh, structure for a family. And so we were placed with my dad. Um, he got custody. So Wow. Did at 10 years old, that's a lot to process. It was really hard. There was a lot of changes in a very short period of time. And And then the changes just kept coming. So my dad kind of, um, we had not been raised in a religious environment and my dad dove headfirst into religion and actually Mm. became a minister. And so, yeah, so all of us girls, we, we had to go to church. We went to several different churches because it didn't take long for the church to realize that my dad had some pretty outlandish beliefs. And so we got kicked out of that church and then, you know, rinse and repeat for a while. So did this cause resentment toward your dad? Um, I was, I was young and I kept, you know, he was my dad and, and he, I was confused. I don't say, I, I don't think I felt resentment, but I was confused and, and worried a lot because yeah because of some things that were happening. He worked graveyards. So he worked at a grocery store and was gone all night and then was checked out most of the day. And so my older sister and I were raising my younger sisters and ourselves, you know, and, and um, it was was chaotic. And it was, Mm. I remember at one point that the custody battle was long and messy. And I remember at one point we, went to a hearing and I remember thinking in my brain, I am going to speak in code and the social worker is going to understand because my sisters and I, we were being physically abused. It was, we were being neglected. We were being forgotten. I mean, it was, it was really tough. I can't tell you how many times we were forgotten places. At one point I had to walk home. I mean, I think it ended up being about three to four miles. At nighttime, like, it, took San Jose. Hours. it took me hours to get home and, and he didn't even, he didn't even notice. I think he forgot that I was gone. I didn't have any money. I couldn't even use a payphone. Like, and even if I had tried, I doubt my dad would have even answered these days. Like, what if people saw me walking at nighttime? Like, <laughs> right. Nobody. Yeah. I, I wasn't a red flag, apparently. So. Oh, Jessica, this is all yeah. really heartbreaking. So you grew up with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of drama, for sure. Yep. Um, you get into your uh, like junior high and high school years. Now you're not a, a kid anymore. What was that like? So uh, much of the same. I used school as kind of my outlet. 
So, and it started in junior high and I started getting some good grades and that made me feel good, you know? Um, and that was something that was different. My parents had never gone to college. Um, my older sister really didn't care about school. And so that was different for me. And I started thinking, this is my way out. And so I worked really hard. And I remember, I remember my dad, we didn't have a kitchen table and I was doing homework on a ping pong table. You know, I was doing anything I could. And I remember at one point, um, a teacher had said like, share this with your family. And I thought my dad doesn't even know what classes I'm taking. Like there's no way I'm sharing this with my family. Oh my gosh. Was it hard not being able to sort of, and I, I hate the word normal because there's not, no one has the same experience, but there are certain shared lived experiences like, Hey, after school, come over to my house. I'm guessing that wasn't a big thing for you. I remember it happened once my friend, it was awful. (laughs) I was in junior high and she said, she said, no offense, but how could anybody here think they're cool? Look where you live. Oh, and I, and I just, I didn't even know. And I, I was holding back the tears and I thought, how do I get this girl away from me? Like how she's here. And it was awful. It was she awful. said that while she was there. Yeah. Yeah. That so, is just heartbreaking. It was, it was sad. And yeah. All right. So where did this lead? So um, my big turning point came when I was a freshman in high school My mom was still trying to get custody unsuccessfully, which at this point, I don't really understand why. Um, I mean, I guess I do in some respects. She lived in a townhome. And at this point, she had also remarried. And she remarried a man that was 13 years younger than her. It wasn't um, probably viewed as a maybe stable environment. They were newlyweds. You know, they were living that life. And good for them. <laughs> but yeah, she had taken my myself and my older sister out of town. We were several hours away. My two younger sisters were at home with my dad. And he completely lost it. He they they did something that upset him and he physically attacked them mm. with scissors. And oh. it was it was the neighbors called the cops. The cops came. And they um, arrested my dad and they took my sisters to a children's shelter. And my mom got a phone call. I mean, I don't even know, I don't even know how she got this phone call. Um, I think it was through officers had come out to where we were because we were on a lake in the middle of nowhere. And um, I went with her. I remember we had to ride with, I don't even know who this guy was. But we basically hopped in the car and drove the several hours home. And it was days before they let us get my sisters out of this children's shelter. And they have horrifying stories that I don't think they'll ever overcome. Um, But we did end up getting them. And at that point, my dad's uh, custody was completely terminated. And to be honest, he vanished. He, He just disappeared. And I didn't really know where he was for another five years or so. I, I just, you know, kids rely on stability. I mean, even, you know, we say kids, but teenagers, yeah, you know, home is that stable base. And of course, now with a gospel perspective of how sacred the home is and everything else, 
And that's just the, you know, the antipathy of what you had. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jessica, it is heartbreaking to hear all of this. So where did you go live after that? So um, my parents had to, my, my mom and my stepdad had to move relatively quickly because all of a sudden they had custody of four teenage girls. And so they rented a house and um, it was in San Jose. We, uh, I, I don't remember a lot about it. It was, our environment improved. Mm. But remember at that time they were newlyweds. He was very young. He was 27. And And, and you were a teenager. I was a teenager. He had two young kids of his own that they were in the process of getting custody over. Um, And so that was still a mess financial. There were so many financial problems. They weren't getting any, any help obviously from my dad who was gone. Um, I mean, looking back, I can, I can kind of sympathize with the absolute challenging situation that they were put in as parents. Right. Um, And they did their best, but it was, it was not a good situation for me. I was an anomaly. I had great grades. I had, I had started high school and had straight A's. Um, That was amazing. And so it was, they didn't know what to do with me. I was on all these clubs. I, you know what I mean? I was in sports and athletics and I had this crazy schedule that they didn't really agree with for whatever reason. It was, it was, uh, I was just, like I said, an anomaly to them and they didn't really even try to understand me. And so it was, it was challenging. It was challenging. So I lived there for, um, for most of high school. And then it kind of all came to a head my senior year. And a few months into my senior year, there was pretty much a physical altercation between my stepdad and myself. And, um, and my mom says, I choose, I choose him. And so I packed my backpack and I left. And that was the last I lived in my house. So I was 16. 16 years old and you've already lost your father. You don't know where he is. He's disappeared. Now this happens with your mother where she says, well, if I've got to choose, I choose him. What does that do to your soul? Well, to be really honest, I left that night with, with the idea I left with a bottle of ibuprofen and I thought that I would ride the light rail until I, the minute, the minute I got on um, the bus, I, there was a police officer who got on and I was so worried that he was going to realize that I was a teenage runaway <laughs> and that he was going to try to take me back. And he didn't. And, um, but my plan was to go downtown San Jose and to find a place to sit and then to just take however many pills it took. And then I just started thinking that my friend Genevieve would be really upset with me. Genevieve was a girl who I met my freshman year of high school, who was a member of the church. And um, we had become just immediately best friends. We were very, very close. I spent a lot of time at her house. Um, I knew her parents. I she, she brought me into this beautiful group of friends who, and they were all members except for a couple of us. 
And I had a teacher my, my freshman year of high school who just completely took me under his wing. He recognized a lot of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought he would be so upset with me. And so instead, I got off um, the bus at where I would normally get off to go to school. And instead, I walked to Genevieve's house. And I showed up at her doorstep. And her family took me in. So the remainder of my senior year, I lived in her garage. That night, how much of a relief was it to have a roof over your head and a place to be? Um, I was so emotionally exhausted. Um, I actually remember her dad at the point was Bishop. And he asked me if I wanted a blessing. And I said, no, because I just thought there's nothing that would help me at this point. Mm. And, and he respected my decision. Um, uh, and so, I, I mean, yeah, just, I just remember com- being absolutely exhausted beyond what I've ever felt before. So what was your feeling at that time for your sisters? Um, I worried for my younger sisters. And again, this is before cell phones. Like I couldn't, I couldn't call them. I couldn't. My family really, I mean, they, they put all my stuff in plastic bags on the front porch. They wow. put it out on the lawn. And that was two weeks later. Like I, I didn't have any of my school books. I had taken my, my work clothing. I, I was not in my right mind, you know? And now here you are living with a Latter-day Saint Bishop. I know. <laughs> and their family. You want to talk about just the juxtaposition of where I know. you were and where I know. You and were trust from. me, they, so at this point I was a senior. I met her my freshman year. I mean, they tried so hard with me. Like I went to um, Young Women's several times. I even went to BYU for like a track camp. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I was getting this exposure, but it was interesting because it was always like, I just don't ever think it was the exposure that my friend hoped it would be. Like, for instance, that track camp, I got in trouble because my shorts were too short. Oh, (laughs) I didn't have any shorts. I didn't, I didn't know. And I didn't have any yeah, and gosh, I hope so, that, I hope that in 2021 we're better than that. Right. I, mean, I know. You know I'm like, maybe we missed the mark there. <laughs> maybe it maybe on the track you don't need baggy shorts yeah, running down the yeah, track. It oh no. So, so they uh, had tried and, and went by living with them, you know, um I prayed because they prayed, like, you know, blessings over the food and whatnot. And they always invited me to things. I always declined. I mm. You know, um, a couple times, I think I sat through some scripture study because we were going out right after. And so I was doing that, you know, but I didn't understand any of it. I didn't even try to understand it. So I was completely not interested. Uh, that is, they tried. They tried so hard. I hate to say it. It's kind of funny. Now looking back at it, it is a little bit funny. Uh, So then you come to high school graduation. Yes, a little bit before then I had, so my group of friends were wonderful and, and um, they were all dating these cute LDS boys and, and I started dating some LDS boys, but soon realized they weren't dating me for the right reasons. Um, So that was kind of disappointing. And then um, it was kind of funny because I, I went to seminary once. Mm. Keep in mind, this is in San Jose, California. Seminary was like Oh my oh, word. Yeah. The sun was not up. It was so early in the morning. Oh <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so, so we went to seminary and I remember, so I'm kind of an intense person. I've always been that way. And I remember seeing this kid at the very back, completely asleep. And I remember going, what is he even doing here? <laughs> hey, a couple months later, I started dating that young man who was asleep in the and Spoiler alert. He's my husband. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, wait a minute. So you, the first time you saw him was first in seminary asleep. Yeah, totally. And he could even tell you stories of all the times he fell asleep during seminary. It's kind of hilarious. So yeah, yeah so we had started. Great spoiler dating. alert. That's awesome. Yeah, right. So we started dating and his parents were not happy because I was not a member of the church. Mm. Um, he had dated a few of my friends. We are still, you know, we were in the same circle and and when we started dating, it wasn't really planned. It was just kind of, we were hanging out and then we, you know, we talked and we had more in common than we thought. And we talked just really easily. And it didn't take long for us to realize like, wow, we have a really strong connection here. Like mm. it was, it was pretty remarkable for even, you know, at that point, teenagers, um, but it didn't take long and he broke up with me. And he broke up with me in a letter, like handwritten letter. Um, you know what I mean? Because again, we had pagers, but, and I am very fluent in pager code, by the way, but he felt like that deserved a letter. So he wrote me a letter and he broke up with me saying that he wanted to be married in the temple someday. And mm. I was not going to get him there. So his idea was break up before we, our relationship progresses, which, you know, I can appreciate that. But <laughs> yeah. at the same time, I was like, what? I was, I was really upset. And he had no idea at the time because I didn't tell him. Um, but that really inspired me because I thought, what is so important about this temple marriage? And what is so important about this mission that he wants to go on that he's willing to essentially sacrifice this relationship before we even get started. You know, I, I didn't. Well, yeah, I'm sure that had great impact on it you. Did. It did. So I actually went to, you know, the house I was living and I talked to Genevieve's mom. Her name is Diane. She's a wonderful woman. And I said, Diane, I think I want to hear the discussions. I think I want to meet with the missionaries, but I don't want to tell anybody, especially Adrian. Because he is not, he just broke up with me. We're not. Forget Adrian. Forget Adrian. So it was funny because I wanted to meet with the missionaries. So I had to find some sister missionaries. Um, and it's hilarious because they were on a Spanish speaking mission. And so all of their materials was in Spanish. <laughs> and so it was really funny. They're teaching me this and they're like, pretend this is English. And I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> So they give me the first discussion unbeknownst to anybody, you know, um, and I thought it was just crazy beyond crazy. Um, keep in mind simultaneously at this time, um, I'm applying to colleges late, later than I should be. Um, and my parents refused to sign the application. I was still a minor. And so, um, with the help of a couple teachers, I had started the process to become an emancipated minor mm. uh, so that I could yeah. literally go on with my future and, and do the things that I wanted to do. Of course. Like yeah. So this is the stuff I was doing while I was investigating the church. Um, it was, it was kind of a crazy time. 
like, I don't feel like I was able to really devote a lot of headspace to what the missionaries were trying to teach me. Um, I was literally the worst investigator ever. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) To the point where they were like, they dropped me. They challenged me to be baptized. I mean, so many times I don't even know. And I said, nope, every single time they gave me homework. I never did. I didn't even crack open the Book of Mormon. I didn't go to church. I did nothing. I was really the worst investigator. (laughs) Did you end up becoming an emancipated minor then? Oh, yeah, I became an emancipated minor. So and that was, uh, let's see. So I was 17. I was just barely 17 when when that happened. Back to the church journey. So you did you so you stopped taking the discussions for a little while. Yeah. Obviously that sparked back up at some point because you're on Latter-day Lives. It was a Saturday morning and um I was it was just I was having a really rough time. And I was laying in bed awake, um, upset, frustrated, worried times 10, you know, I and I had the thought, like, what if I prayed? And so um, I said a prayer. That's that's really, and it was clunky. I remember that was the word that um, I remember thinking, like, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but really, I just, I just talked to God, and I just kind of poured my heart out, and it was emotional, and it was hard, but it was crazy because almost immediately, I had this overwhelming, just comforting feeling. When I finished praying, I just had this thought, and I won't say exactly what I thought, but oh shoot, it's true. <laughs> and, and and what on earth am I gonna do with this? You know what I mean? And I and I was so I was kind of upset because I was like, are you kidding me? Like I have already done so much, and now I have to I have to change my whole life because because it's true. And I received such a strong confirmation of that. I got out of bed, which remember I was in the garage. So I came into the house where this cute family was having breakfast and I sat down and I said, so I'm going to be baptized. And I'm pretty sure everybody fell on the floor (laughs) (laughs) and they immediately called the missionaries who I heard screaming. Like there was And keep in mind at this point, I was leaving. I had gotten accepted into Pepperdine on a full ride scholarship and I was leaving in about two weeks. Were you baptized in San Jose or did you? I I was baptized um, the day before I left for, for college. I was confirmed the morning before we left for college. Um, And the sweet family that I stayed with drove me down to Pepperdine, keep in mind here. And so if you've ever been, it's in Southern California. Yeah. Beautiful beautiful, campus. Beautiful school. So green. Yeah. Yeah. Right on the beach. Like I love Pepperdine. I've been there a few times. Yeah. So it was, they, they drove me over to um, the first counselor in the bishopric and literally he lived in the Barbie mansion. Okay. I was like, who is this person? And then they drove me to school, you know, and dropped me off there. And then it was it. I was on my own. And there were three members of the church who were active on campus. Um, It was really hard. It was 
probably not the right place for me to be, but I stuck it out for a year and then I actually transferred to BYU. The church had already become that big of a thing for you. That well, quickly. it was, it was, I had these beautiful, wonderful friends mm-hmm. and they saw how much I struggled. It was really hard to get rides to church. It was, you know, when you're driving along PCH and it takes you two hours in traffic, like right. church was, it, it, so I probably only went to church a handful of times. And I have to tell you that sweet Bishop who took me on, like he assigned me a talk in sacrament meeting. I was so scared. I physically made myself ill <laughs> and bowed <laughs> out at the last minute. Oh my. That poor Bishop. I'm like, oh no, what did he do? But oh, I was Jessica. So when Adrian left on his mission, he went to the Preston, England, MTC, and I actually went out. I I flew out to Utah the same day he left. Had you guys kind of started back up again? Yes. Yes. His parents weren't thrilled. So we broke up a couple more times, but then he kept driving down to Pepperdine and you know what I mean? And he'd bring his cousins and we'd go to Hollywood and... (laughs) But his parents weren't thrilled. Now you're here. You were a member thrilled. of the church. But I was a member of the church, but he was going on a mission. And so, right. but like I said, we had this, I mean, we had this great friendship and even still we've been married almost 20 years and yeah, we're just really good friends and we just have a really fun time hanging out. So at that time they were patient with us, but yes, there was some yeah. off and on and sure. But by the time he left for his mission, I was waiting for him. That, that, so you. So now you're waiting for a missionary at BYU. Yes, which I hear that's really hard. And my bishop brought me in and he's like, you should date. And I said, I should not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Elder Adrian comes home. Came home. I dropped everything. I packed up my 1986 Corolla and I moved back out to the Bay Area because, by the way, he said, I will never live in Utah. <laughs> Famous last words. Famous last words. Yes. I, I uttered those words many times myself. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. We looked into places around California. We we're thinking Fresno State, like, um, but nothing really panned out. And we ended up getting married and moving back to Utah just a few short months after I moved away. Perfect. Very good. <laughs> so, awesome. All right. So now we've come full circle to where you've got your own family. Yes. You yes. guys are now raising, you know, tell us, tell us about, but because I want to get into all the recipes and how that all yes. came about. My husband, who had graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering, worked for this great company. At Christmas, they had this great Christmas party, and they said, don't worry, everyone's jobs are safe. And then seven weeks later, he got laid off. Mm. And it was was just such a crazy time. And I remember we had cell phones, number one. (laughs) And I remember he sent me a text. And he said, um, I'm pretty sure I'm about to lose my job. And I was at home with three kids. My youngest, our youngest at that point was only four months old. And I remember my, I did like, what do I say to this? And I just responded, I still love you. Mm. And, um, and yeah, he lost his job. I am a doer. Like if you haven't realized that so far, I, I see that. I I'm a doer. And so is my husband. And when he was out of work, it was really stressful because we were used to doing things. And now suddenly both of us were at home. 
zero income, three little kids. It was really, really stressful. Mm-hmm. So um, we started selling anything we could in the house. And um, and I started living really frugally. Like we had always lived pretty frugally, but I stepped it up a few notches and I started to use coupons and I learned how to use coupons really effectively. And I started sharing that with my neighbors who were really interested in it. And so I had emailed out to people um, deals that I had found, oh, diapers here, you know, um, cereal here, whatever. And I thought I should start a blog. Like I should, I should start one. It's kind of a new thing. This was back in 2009 when not everyone had a blog. Um, And so I did, I launched Utah deal diva and (laughs) I shared just great deals. And I did like inexpensive recipes, you know, ways to cook for your family on like a, a budget. And it was wonderful. It was an outlet for me more than anything. And my husband was super supportive and we, you know, at that point we thought if this earns us some money, that's fantastic. Cause we have none, you know? Um, but really more than anything, it was just an outlet at that point, something to work on and something to, to um, just occupy my brain instead of work worrying, you know? So how did you get the word out about that? Um, email. <laughs> so and Facebook, Facebook was, I, I think that was my first year that I started Facebook. Um, and you know, it wasn't as popular as it, as it is now. So, right. so I did a DIY website. Um, my father-in-law is a graphic designer. And so he designed a little logo for me and, and away I went, you know, and I just, I just started, I didn't really think about it, which I probably should have thought a little bit more. about. It. So were you able to monetize that website? I actually started making money immediately. So I think um, because I was hyper-focused on Utah, I shared free family events and I could specialize in stores that we had. And so people were able to literally hop in their car, go down to the store with, you know, these coupons that you print off from my website and that you were able to get cereal for a dollar or or less, you know, so. So were people paying sort of a membership with like a... Um, So I the way you get coupons. And at this point you printed them online, but you still got them through the newspaper. Mm. And so basically I worked out a deal with the newspaper subscriptions through a company that was kind of my go-between and I taught coupon classes and I Mm. offered them this really, really inexpensive newspaper subscription if they wanted to do coupons as well. And that's, Uh, I love it. And so, yeah, I, I taught for release societies mostly like, and I traveled around towards and I, and I of course published my deals on my website. And so I got traffic. I started getting traffic from that and it was going really well. Um, it was, you were the coupon diva. I was, I was, and it was, it was time consuming. Like deal websites were very, very time consuming and I was doing it all by myself. Wow. I did bring on some help, which was fantastic. And yeah, I think that first year, um, I mean, I didn't make much, but man, we were out of work. So anything was, was fantastic. Um, but it took a couple of years until I was making a small full-time income. So I was thrilled. That is unbelievable. What a neat story, Jessica. Okay. So then how did we go from coupons <laughs> to cooking? So I remember uh, my recipes were really taking off, but as a, a niche website, 
I was being paid from Utah traffic. So I was attending a blog conference and I sat through this just phenomenal class. It was so inspiring. Um, and at the end, I, I went up to her and I said, I have this problem. Um, my problem is, is that I'm getting traffic from all over when I really just need more Utah traffic. How do I get more Utah traffic? And she stopped and she said, I think your readers are trying to tell you something. And so I, I told my husband, I'm going to start another website, like get ready, you know, and he's totally on board and we brainstormed names. And within 48 hours, I had bought the domain and was starting to get my design up. And, and yeah, that was Tell us the name of that website. So butter with a side of bread. I mean, I wanted to convey that it wasn't necessarily a health website, um, <laughs> but I wanted it to be like comfort food and, you know, fun family recipes. And so, and it, the funniest thing was, is I had about 50 names and they were all taken. So <laughs> I had a budget of very little to buy my domain. And so, so this one was the one that was cheapest. And I think that it was, uh, very fitting. And I, and I love the name. So well, I love the name butter with a side of bread. I think it's wonderful. Um, did you start doing your own photography right away? Right away. Yep. And you look at some of my older pictures, whoo, they are bad, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I loved, um, part of being here in Utah is that there are a lot of bloggers here. And, um, because of that, you know, so many people that are trying to learn these weird things like search engine optimization, um, and, you know, how to improve our photography of random, you know, food and still objects like groceries, you know, stuff like that. Um, we had a lot of blog conferences that are, you know, we're here in Utah that are still here in Utah. And so I jumped on that, that conference circuit and I attended as many as I could, some toting along, you know, my babies or, you know, attending when I'm giant pregnant, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I made it work. I made it work. And so, and I always, always, always attended at least one photography class and just really worked hard on it. It it helps that I loved it. I still love it. That's one of my favorite parts about it. So was it surprising to you to start to see the numbers go up and up and up? It was shocking, actually. I think shocking is a better better word. I something that I have always tried to do um, is I've always I pray for everything, and I think that that's because I didn't grow up thinking this is how you pray and this is what you should pray for. And so when I joined the church, I prayed for everything. I prayed for good ideas. I prayed for, do you know what I mean? And I I very vividly remember. Um, my first viral recipe, it came two months after I launched my food blog. Mm. And I remember, um, I was actually nursing my son at the time. And I remember just praying for good ideas. I need, you know, I am sleep deprived. (laughs) I am tired. Like this is a lot of work at this point. I'm running two blogs, like, and I don't have that much of a team. So I'm doing it primarily by myself. And I, and I remember this idea popped in my head and I thought, oh no, that's way too easy. Looking back, I'm like, ah, oh, that's all I had to do was look, you know what I mean? And it was too easy. <laughs> what, what, what was the uh, recipe? So pumpkin pretzels, that was my first. And I thought, oh, I'm sure. All I did was took a pretzel and I covered it in white chocolate that I had covered, colored orange. And then I put a green M&M at the top. 
And if you tapped the chocolate away, it looks like a jack-o'-lantern. Oh, that's adorable. I remember looking on the internet and going, wait a minute, no one else has done this. This doesn't exist. Like, how amazing is that? Literally, I was just (laughs) blessed with this awesome idea for a recipe that I could execute in an hour. (laughs) That is awesome. So I I posted it um, and it went off. It took off. It was crazy. Um, Traffic was pouring in and that introduced my process. So I prayed and I still pray all the time for inspiration for, let me know how to, you know, take good pictures of this exact recipe because I'm struggling with this. And, um, and yeah, I think that inspiration has played a massive role in success of my websites. And I'm so, so grateful for that. I am on your website right now. And not only do you have pumpkin pretzels, but zombie and mummy pretzels. Right? I kind of ran with that idea. So yes. I have recycled it. I created video. Like I I remember, um, let's see, it was probably about six years ago. I, um, I, this is the funny part. I meant to listen to a podcast about doing more video in your website, but I was so like, stressed and just kind of pulled in so many different ways. I only read the title of the rest of the podcast and it was just push record. And I thought I didn't even get to listen to this, but the title was perfect for me. <laughs> and I literally just push record. And so when I started video on my websites, that again, took it to a whole new level. My first video, my daughter was holding my camera, okay, awesome. which was my phone. So she was, and it was it was so bad and it went completely viral. I think at this point that video has over 20 million views. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And thankfully I've gotten a little bit better with the camera. So (laughs) what I love about your website though, is, you know, back to being someone who doesn't cook and can't cook. I think I could do this. Like I'm looking at it and I feel like you make things very presentable, like very easy to digest and, and sort of like, Hey, okay, I can actually do this. And that's exactly what we try to do. So Uh, my whole idea with the food website that I love is I want families to sit down and have dinner together. Mm. I want families to be able to congregate around food recipes, you know, um, whether it's, you know, delicious bread or a million different kinds of cookies or pumpkin pretzels, whatever it is that, you know. This is awesome. I I love your website. You know, I remember when we had young kids and, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and there's a lot of stress and there were, you know, young kids go along with budget stress for most families. You know, when your kids are your youngest, you are your, maybe at your least money-making time. So what is one tip if we've got some young mothers out there who are struggling, who feel like, oh, I've got to come up with dinner. And I think maybe, and maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I think Latter-day Saint mothers put an extra dose of pressure on themselves. Like I have to be the mother that makes dinner what are one or two tips that you have for young mothers who are struggling with their families? To- I am a big fan of using what you have on hand, first of all. So don't, I, I never like hearing that people have to run to the grocery store to make one of my recipes. I mean, for the most part, you should, you know, use what you've got on hand. Um, 
and just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Like it, it makes me laugh because I make homemade chicken tenders. I mean, I'm making glorified chicken nuggets. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> these are the best things ever. <laughs> so don't overthink it. Just get in the kitchen, you know, and if you, if you struggle with something, what's really funny is that before I had launched my, my websites, I really wanted to make bread. And I thought, you know, LDS moms make bread. I am terrible at making bread (laughs) and it took me and I, it took me a while and I really had to dedicate myself to, I need to learn how to do this. And so thankfully by the time I had started my website, I knew how to make bread, but keep at it. Keep at it. If something interests you, um, I find cooking really, especially bread making, um, just really therapeutic, you know, it's kind of a fun process. I've actually been making sourdough during like quarantine and I, that is one of my favorite things ever. So I absolutely love it. And I have definitely some like beginner bread making, um, you know, do make this one before you make this one, that type of thing over quarantine, like with uh, COVID people started making bread in droves. And so it's, if you actually Google bread, I, I pop up there. So Um, really, really cool. So I have been able to help, um, so many people who have a billion and two questions about how to make bread. How rewarding is it when you get a message from somebody saying, Hey, thanks to you, I was able to do this. Oh, it's amazing. I, I mean, I have, you know, experience with a lot of not very nice comments. So of course, um, and in the food uh, circuit here. It's like, it's like people think that you're in their kitchen. This happened and you caused it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> really? You get people who blame you. Oh, all the time. So when I don't get those comments, you know, when we, when we get those comments that are like, Oh my word, I was so worried. And I tried this and it turned out so great. I've made it three times, you know, mm. since then. And I'm going, yay. We answer every single comment that we get on our website, which is quite the undertaking we have at this point I have four people who work on comments so um, four people who just do comments no they don't just do comments but we all work on no I mean but you have to have four people to cover the comments Mm -hmm. is amazing I actually had to bring on somebody else to help us with comments during 2020 because I was getting I mean I was getting 50 to 70 comments every day oh that is yeah amazing it was was I I just love it. I want to, I want to circle back um, because I'm sure that our, our listeners are wondering too, when last we left your folks, you know, yes. that was, uh, you know, it was the, the, yes. the mom with the new husband, dad is gone. Was there ever, you know, in your so, later years, a shift? It, it has been a work in progress. Um, a couple things. So remember, because I was emancipated, I was an emancipated minor. When I got baptized, I didn't actually have to tell my parents and I didn't. Mm. So wow. um, at this point in, in my relationship, my dad was still gone. I didn't know where he was. And I actually didn't reconnect with him until later in college. Um but, and my mom, I had actually come home from college at one point and visited their house and they had actually moved away and they didn't tell me. Ugh. And so it was, it was tumultuous. Okay. Um, 
it, it, yeah, there were a few years there where I didn't know where they lived. And, um, but what changed was when Adrian and I got married and when we started having children, um, they definitely wanted to be more part of our lives. Mm. They did come to our wedding, but it was not a good experience for them. We got married in the Oakland temple. Um, and we had a ring ceremony in the stake center right there. Their response to the ring ceremony was that wasn't a real wedding. So, which was hard because I had gotten sealed in the temple where I remember it was very similar to when I prayed and felt confirmation that the church was true. When I walked in to that, you know, ceiling room in the Oakland temple, we had the smallest ceiling room. The minute I walked in that room, I knew that was where I should be married. And so even though my family was not thrilled with that, um, I kind of just said, I'm, I'm so sorry you feel that way type thing. Yeah. And as time has gone on, it has definitely improved um, more with my relationship with my, my mother and my stepfather. Um, my relationship with my dad is definitely still a little, sure. yeah, he's still very much an alcoholic and very addicted to drugs. And my kids actually like have met him a few times and that, prompts a lot of conversations, you know, I'm so impressed though, with the way you approach it. It's many years in the making and, and Mm. my sisters and I, we actually have a wonderful relationship now. And my sisters and I kind of take on primarily one of my sisters and I, we kind of take on dad. (laughs) And so we kind of go back and forth. Okay. I need a break. You, you handle him for a bit. Okay. I need it. I've been on a couple year break and I'm very grateful for that. (laughs) So well, we want uh, we want to make sure our listeners know all the amazing places that they can follow you. First of all, uh, if they want to go to the website, it is just butterwithasideofbread.com. Still the best name on the internet. I love right. it. Uh, and then it, on Facebook, if they just search butter with a side of bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we pop up everywhere. Um, we have a couple of our handles are butter girls, but again, it's still our name is butter with a side of bread. So, and uh, you can join again, as I'm looking at it right now, the 881,000 followers on Facebook. We are going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is Jessica, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Being a member of the church has been my greatest treasure. And I use that word because there's so many aspects of the gospel that I just absolutely hold dear to my heart and I use them. And just like a tangible treasure would be when I found it, it was new to me and it was amazing. And I still try to take full advantage of those treasures. Prayer, prayer. I mean, I tell my kids, pray in the car. Please don't close your eyes especially if you're driving, but pray in the car. I find myself praying all the time. Um, Yeah. Like the confirmation that I received um, from the Holy ghost, like, Oh, what a tremendous blessing and treasure it is to have the Holy ghost with us always. And um, I mean, just so many aspects of the gospel that I just absolutely adore. And I try not to take them for granted because I remember what it was like to not have those and I'm just so incredibly grateful. And like I said, I, I try to tell my kids all the time, they're probably tired of hearing of it, but, but don't just don't take it for granted and just utilize, put those treasures to use. They're for us. 
So I, I Beautiful. hope that sense. Absolutely does. She is a wife, a mother. She is a total rock star in the food and recipe world. She's overcome a whole lot in her life and is an inspiration to many. Jessica Williams, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure to be here. And my special thanks to Jessica Williams. What an amazing soul she is. I so enjoyed getting to know Jessica. She's so easy to talk to and a lot of fun, and yet her story has just been so amazing and inspiring. Thank you so much for taking the time with us, Jessica. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, you know, travel can be stressful. And I think we've probably all seen sort of that one person who takes it over the top and feels entitled and is a loud mouth, uh, maybe at an airport when a flight is delayed or at a rental car counter or in a hotel. And, uh, you know, you see people like that. And it's stressful for everybody to travel. When you see someone who's just acting really entitled, and don't you just feel like just screaming, shut up? And I don't know. I assume that most of us have seen it. And uh, if you're new to the show, maybe you don't know, but I have talked about it quite a bit, that uh, I have traveled a ton in my career and in my life. I've actually done more than 2 million miles with Delta. I've been very blessed uh, to see the world and the country. And in fact, I'm recording this on Friday afternoon in Anaheim, California. I've been here working this week in Southern California, and my son is flying in in a few hours, and we are spending the weekend at Disneyland together, for which I am very excited. Uh, But when I flew in on Tuesday night, and I have to say, I travel pretty darn well. You know, traveling as much as I do, the airlines, the hotels, the rental cars, they're all very, very good to me and uh, always treat me really well. And one of the perks I get for renting cars so much is the rental car company I use they have an aisle of cars called the executive aisle. And basically, I pay for a midsize car, and they stock this aisle with SUVs or full-size cars or whatever. They put in a whole bunch of cars there, and when I show up to the airport, I walk over, I hop in the car I want, and I drive off. It's that easy. Just a great program. And when I landed in Southern California uh, in the Orange County Airport this week on Tuesday night, I walked down and walked over to the executive aisle, and I have not rented a car in Orange County in quite a while. You know, when I've flown in here, the few times I have since the pandemic started, I've just taken an Uber. And I got down to the executive aisle. There was not a single car there. And this was really confusing to me. I looked around, and I've never seen this before. And I saw an employee from the car company walking by, and I said, excuse me, where are the executive cars? And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And he was the nicest guy. He said, I'm so sorry, uh, but we've stopped that program temporarily because of the pandemic. You'll need to go over to the booth, which was right nearby. And he said, you'll need to wait in line. And I looked over at the booth, and there were about eight people in line. And I said, I have to wait in that line? And I think I kind of surprised the guy. And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, you need to wait in that line, but it's pretty quick and they'll get you set up with a car. And then I said, well, do you have an executive line? 
And he looked at me and just kind of shook his head and said, no, sir, I'm sorry. You'll have to go wait in the regular line. And I was so put out. Not only do they not have my executive car, but they want me to wait in a regular line with regular people. Don't they know who I am? And I rolled my eyes and I sighed and I walked over behind the eight people to go stand in line. And as I was standing there, I suddenly realized how I was acting. And inside my head, I screamed, shut up. How could I be such an idiot with this guy? When did I become that guy? When did I become the entitled jerk who's traveling, who's so entitled, who doesn't have to wait in lines? And immediately I felt embarrassed. I felt terrible. And I told myself to shut up. I then decided to completely flip my attitude. I started thinking about what I was grateful for, that I was going to Disneyland this weekend, that my son was going to come out and meet me, that I had a beautiful rental car, that I have a great job, that I get to travel, that I get to see friends from work this week. I started thinking of all the things for which I'm grateful. And you know what? The line did move really fast. And when I got up to the front, I started showering the guy in the booth with compliments. Wow, you guys are so fast. You know, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much for all you do. (laughs) Because the way to get over our entitlement is through service and through loving other people and building them up. And I thanked him and I just kept saying, wow, you're so good at your job and great at what you do. And he said, oh, yeah, he almost seemed surprised. Like, okay, guy, I get it. And then he gave me the keys to my rental car, and I said, thank you so much, and thanks for all your work. And then I found the guy who I had been so rude to earlier, and I said, hey, you were right. That line is not long. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing. You guys are just awesome. And he was looking at me like, wait a minute, weren't you the entitled jerk I just talked to a few minutes ago? And I climbed into my car, and I resolved that this week I am not going to be that guy. It's easy for us to slip into. It's so easy, and maybe not for you. I shouldn't say us. It's easy for me. Things that I get used to, that I start to expect, and at that point I start to feel entitled. And entitlement, oh my gosh, is not a Christ-like attribute. No, being humble is. And the way to get over entitlement is to be humble and to be grateful and to count our blessings and to recognize where they come from. I am so glad I was able to change my attitude. I was so embarrassed with how I acted and with what I thought. Next time that guy comes out, once again, I will yell, shut up, and think about just how incredibly blessed I am. And that's what's happening in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. The Latter-day Lives podcast is produced by Gene Chittister, social media by Skylar Fleming, I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. 